What's up, everybody? My name is Shane Kohler, and this is The Conscious Love Show. Thanks so much for joining me here, where each week I'm sharing true-to-life insights and experiences from my journey and how I've created the loving and committed partnership I have today. I answer your questions and have live discussions with you so I can support you in your specific situation. And I bring in experts and people who know their stuff so we can all learn from their perspectives. Thanks again for checking out the show. Please subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on the most. And I would love it so much if you'd leave a review and tell people what you think of us. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at The Living Relationship to connect more closely. And I'm grateful to be supporting you on your journey to love. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Conscious Love Show. Uh, as always, Shane here. Very excited to be with you today, and I have a special guest with me. So I always look forward to having the amazing guests on the show and you know them just bringing in a fresh perspective and fresh wisdom. And um, I'm really excited about today's guest. So um, in today's episode, I have Lindsay Marie joining me. And um, she is this amazing lady who I, I recently connected with and we've been chatting and she's been just sharing so much of her experience and her perspectives with me and I've, I've just been really impressed and excited by the things we've talked about and I wanted to give her the opportunity to share her story here. So Lindsay is a certified life coach. She specializes in somatic healing. Um, she spent many years primarily working with men around love and dating and relationships. Uh, these days she's working with men, women and couples. Um, but uh, her goal is to help people become the most authentic version of themselves, to communicate clearly and attract the kind of partner they want to have, to create a relationship based on win-win versus settling. And we're very excited to uh, dive in with her today. So, hey, Lindsay, how are you? Hi, Shane. I'm amazing. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Yeah, yeah. Very excited to have you here. And um, so we were just talking a, a little bit before we got started here about the years that you spent coaching men and how that kind of shaped your perspective and what you learned from them and you know how you maybe undid some old beliefs that you had right and you just you really started to develop a new understanding of men and you know who they are how they operate what they want what their intentions are and everything across the board and um i was really inspired by that as as we were sharing and so maybe we could just start there if you'd share with us a little bit, like what are some of the biggest things you've learned from your work with men and how is it maybe different from what you thought of men before that, or maybe what most women might feel about men as a whole? Yeah, great question. So first of all, I, I grew up as a tomboy. So most of my friends were always guys. So I've always been like a, a guy's gal, hanging out with all the guys, not really fitting in with girls groups. So um, I always had a level of empathy for men and understanding for men that I think a lot of women don't really have, even though I still had really challenging uh, relationships, um, both with uh, that I experienced in my own family um, and, and growing up. And I used to always feel victimized by men. Uh, and I found out in working with men that a lot of men feel victimized by women. So 
whether this is around money or around sexuality or, or even just your boundaries. Uh, I found that a lot of men at their core, when they, when they really, really want to work on themselves, they realize that it's really hard for them to tap into their emotions in a lot of cases to express their emotions because they were told not to do that in a lot of cases. Um, also that they do have really big hearts and they do have lots of emotions, even though they might shy away from them at times and that they really want healthy relationships. Uh, even the men that I have worked with that want to casually date or, um, explore a little bit more, and they're not necessarily into a committed relationship. They always are coming at me with like, Lindsay Marie, is this the right way to say this? Like, I want to make sure I don't hurt this person's feelings. I want to make sure I'm being authentic about what my intentions are. And that wasn't my experience with men in dating. So it gave me in my own personal journey in dating. So it gave me this whole new perspective that, oh, wow, where have all the, the men gone, right? Like where have all the good men gone? Well, they're out there. What I learned was that I couldn't see them because I thought that men were a certain way and wanted a certain thing from me, whether that was me being submissive, me being uh, looking a certain way or, or my sexuality, right? Like, so does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, it definitely does. And I think I'd like you to maybe just dive in a little more to what you were saying there. So there was a, there was a certain perception you had about men in terms of what they wanted from you, how they were and, and so on. Like, can you kind of paint a picture for us? Like, what was your perception of men? Yes. Okay. So, um, my perception of men was based on my life experiences and I did have a lot of traumatic experiences growing up with men, um, and as a teenager. Um, so from a young age, from about age 16, I believed that the only way I was going to get a man to like me was that if I used my physical body, gave them sex and intimacy, gave them whatever they required. But then I also knew that at a certain point they would leave me for someone else because they had this dualistic thinking in their head that, oh, well, they want sex. But then if I give them sex, then they're going to think I'm a hoe or whatever, or like, a, you know, like I'm not respectable enough, even though this is where they're pushing my boundaries consistently across the board. And, but if I don't give them that, they're not going to want to go on another date with me. And if I do give them that experience, then they're going to categorize me as disposable. So it was like a catch 22, big catch 22 to be sucking. Yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> That's like quite an impossible situation to be put in, right? Like you know, <laughs> if I give them what they want, they're not going to like me. And if I don't give them what they want, they still won't like me. So I, I guess I'm screwed, right? There's no, there's no way out of that. And I know obviously, and the point of this conversation is to maybe understand how maybe you developed a new understanding of that. But before we get there, I just want to ask, and whatever you, whatever you feel comfortable sharing, obviously, but you mentioned 
having some traumatic experiences and having some things happen with men, maybe in your childhood or your later years that caused you to develop this perception. And again, whatever you feel comfortable sharing, but I think a lot of the audience has probably had similar experiences. So, you know, mm -hmm. if you could share a little bit about like, how did you develop that idea about men? What happened? Yeah. And, and when I just want to say that when you, when you pick apart these ideas that you have, if, especially if some of the things that I say might trigger some of the listeners, I want you to know that I am no longer blaming men or those situations, even though I might still feel some emotion ar around it, it is more empathy that I'm, that I'm feeling or, uh, I, I think it's really important when we talk about these things to know that I no longer blame my trauma on my path. I no longer blame my past pattern on my trauma. I see that it was something that I learned, right. That I rationally interpreted and through understanding it, that's literally only the first step because you can understand all of your trauma, but not get be able to get out of it. Right. Like in order to get out of it, you need to start making different decisions mm -hmm. that might still get you rejected or, uh, you know, or, or like that might have a series of events that you don't necessarily like, but you need to be able to hold what you value and want, which is why it's so hard to get out of these patterns sometimes is because yeah. you're like, oh, well, I did it. Like when I was said, like, well, I would be a respectable woman. And I would say, I'm going to wait, you know, to have a sexual experience with a man until I know he wants to commit to me. Um, and I've had so many experiences where they just left because, you know, because my beliefs and my fears were still operating and they weren't the right men for me, you know? So, so once you become aware of your trauma and how it affects you, you really can only get beyond it. Once you choose to stand in what you want, regardless of what shows up, right? Like, so regardless of if you, which I think is challenging for a lot of women, because they'll be like, well, I did the thing that Shane told me to do. And he still rejected me or like, I'm still in the same place or like, same thing with me. The guys will say like, why well, I, I was really nice. And, and I, I stated my boundaries, but she left. Those people are not your people. <laughs> so like, like the reason why I'm saying this is that you got to still sort through the possibilities. It's not like everything is going to change when you immediately become aware of your trauma. So I'm not saying these things to trigger you or to make you feel bad about me or to victimize myself, I'm going to share these things with you simply for the purpose so that you can see how any experience that was painful in your life can actually be used as your greatest strength and fuel to forward what you actually want in dating and partnership. Love that. I love that. Yeah. Thank, thank yeah. you so much for setting it up that way. Cause it's really the long important. setup. <laughs> yeah. No, it's important though. It's important. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, when I was, uh, six years old, my parents got divorced and I knew why they got divorced. So my dad, um, and my mom had already been aware of this. I wasn't aware about this at this time, but my dad always said that he was not a one woman guy. <laughs> He's watching. He might get mad at me, but <laughs> I love my dad. I think my dad's amazing. My dad has made me who I am in so many ways, but he, him and my mom got married and my mom tried to convince him, you know, to be monogamous with her. 
but eventually it didn't work. And so he, they got a divorce when I was six years old. Um, and he was already with that other woman. And I knew all of this at age six. So I tried to like parent trap my parents, you know, the parent trap movie, I would take like photographs of them arguing to piss them off more. And I absolutely hated my stepmom because I knew I thought that she was the reason why. So the other woman, right. If any of you have ever had the other woman or the third party scenario, like she's the reason why my life is ruined, you know? So I had that experience uh, at a very young age and I didn't really get any support for it. I lived in Idaho. There wasn't, very, the child psychologist that they took me to was not that great. And unfortunately I was one of those children that at age six, I already thought I was smarter than everyone else. So (laughs) I, (laughs) I didn't want to get any help from the psychiatrist. So, uh, growing up then, um, in my, uh, middle school years, I had a foster brother, uh, who once held me down and molested me. And it wasn't even that really traumatic of an experience at that time until I was older. And I realized like, oh yeah, that wasn't actually right. Like I didn't even know uh, about it. And then at at age 17, this is where I developed my belief. Well, it actually came from my dad because I thought that's the reason why my dad left my mom was that was connected to my 17 year old uh, date rape experience uh, where I was blacked out drunk, but I said, no, I don't want to have sex with you. And then I woke up later and I had been raped. And this guy, again, he's a friend of the family. I was more worried that my dad was going to find out and like do something horrible to him (laughs) than than, than anything else. Like, like, and my dad still doesn't know who he is, um, even though he knows who he is. Um, So So I always had empathy for these, like, I always had empathy, even in the trauma. Um, but I also didn't get help again. So I didn't, yeah, I was psychologically really struggling at that time. And then my boyfriend at that time, I, I told, he wanted to have sex with me and I was 17, 16 or 17. And I didn't want to have sex with him because of this traumatic experience, you know? So I told him that, and then he immediately broke up with me. So that was where the belief was like solidified. Okay. If if I am going to have a guy like me, I need to put out. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the funny thing was, was that my first long-term boyfriend was uh, 21 years old. I dated him the following year and he was, uh, uh, what's it called when he was a virgin. So he was a 21 year old virgin. So I got to have this opposite experience of, of actually building a relationship that wasn't based around that. Uh, but because we were both so traumatized, he had a lot of religious trauma. I had, you know, this sexual trauma that I hadn't dealt with. Um, we developed a very codependent, uh, nar- like abusive relationship, psychologically abusive on both of our sides because we hadn't dealt with our trauma, but we were engaged for about seven years. Um, and we also had issues with drugs and alcohol at this time. And, um, this is when I started providing, I was the sole provider at a certain point for my partner. We were together for six years. Uh, he was also stealing money from me without me knowing, threatening to kill himself if I broke up with him. 
Um, and, uh, he did slit his wrists on my birthday, on my 21st birthday in front of me. Uh, he's okay. He thinks I'm crazy. <laughs> uh, and we don't talk anymore, but he has a child and I think he lives in Arizona. So I hope he's well. Um, but all of this, yeah, trauma that trauma that perpetuates, right? Like, so he had a lot of mother wounds. I had a lot of father wounds. Those go together in a nice traumatic, chaotic bundle. <laughs> and, um, eventually I ended up buying him a $2,000 guitar and telling him I was dating someone else and sending him on his way. Uh, and that was the last time I saw him. So I was what you would call in a lot of situations, the man, right. Of the relationship, like literally providing everything for this, for this human, um, mostly because I believed in how amazing his art was there. There were so many wonderful things about him too. Right. So, um, and him stealing from me and then manipulating me. And when I broke up with him, he said, Oh, I thought I was going to get away with this forever. Wow. That was what he said to me. So this level of forgiveness, right. That it takes to, to get through that. Um, and, and I could share with you so many other stories, but I want to share the, the most beautiful story because there are beautiful stories and, and, you know, um, so the, the person that I dated after that, um, we were also together for seven years. We traveled the world, um, explored the world together, uh, found out that we weren't an actual match for each other, but he is still my friend. He's, I think he's in Colorado right now. Um, and uh, that was when I learned what real unconditional love was, because even though I had all this trauma and I still, I was just starting to get help at that point, you know, getting sober, um, getting therapy. I hadn't been through any coaching program yet, but I was so worried that he was going to steal all my money, right? Like I was so worried that the same thing was going to happen again, that I was uh, hyper vigilant, what you would call like on watch, like even criticizing him for things that he did. And he just would continue to hold space for me and show up for me. Um, and, uh, yeah, we traveled all over the world together, but he, uh, he's the type of person that wants to be a stay at home dad and be the guy fixing the house, working on the house and taking care of the kids and, and have a wife who is a career woman, which I am a career woman, but I don't want to have kids and I don't want to stay at home. Dad is my husband or like even a house husband, right? As, as some people call it. So this is an example of how you can have unconditional love, right? But you don't have to stay together. And I would say that I have unconditional love for all of the people that I've dated even though in the moment it might've been really painful and I was angry or resentful, but the, the power of forgiveness and unconditional love really is that it frees you from this pattern. And I, I believe that it's a process, not an event and, and healing from trauma is a process, not an event. So sometimes you might be feeling like you've done all of these things. You've been through a coaching program, you've done therapy and your results are still mixed or they're not like you're not attracting the kind of people that you actually want. And I believe that that is because you, you have to unravel it all. Like, like 
there's this being and becoming, right? And so when you decide like, this is the ideal partner that I want, there's this process that goes on rationally and emotionally that can be guided by another individual's um, or even just by watching social media, right? And so it's all about learning yourself in relation to other people. And, and when you unravel that trauma, you can't forgive it all or release it all at once. So that's been my journey is, is, is that, and, and really, uh, I think working with men, cause I worked with so many men who had experiences of women stealing their money, taking their kids away, threatening to send them to jail, psychologically, even physically abusing them. Like all the stories and experiences that I had as a woman, the men, ha- I have some of the men, not all of them, but some of them who I, I've, whom I've worked with have had like literally everything mirrored back at me. So that was what really helped me see that it, it's not about men should be this way or women should be this way or where have all the good men gone or why are all these women gold diggers or it's, it's actually about looking at, oh, how am I attracting this? Not from a place of blame, but from a place of curiosity, right? Yeah. And how can I unravel the stories so that I can get to the root of what I actually really want? Yeah, that's amazing. And, you know, just as I'm listening, what I hear is like, you know, you're you're a woman who has all the reason in the world to hate men, right? And like, and you would, I mean, if you wanted to, you would have people backing you up and justifying it and saying you're absolutely validated in that. And right. So despite having all of these experiences, and and I know, you know, you're not alone in that, right? Like so many women have had these experiences and I'm sure a lot of the people who are going to hear this podcast have had these experiences, right? So you know, you're definitely not alone in that. But as somebody who has been through these things, and you know, you saw it with your father, you've, you know, been uh, sexually assaulted, like, you know, you've been through so much. And yet, somehow, you've come out of that and developed this, as you put it, like this unconditional love, and this compassion and empathy, and, and love like for men. So tell us how that happened, right? Like, how did you how did you get out of all of that and develop this like, you know, love and appreciation for men that you have now? Well, there's so many things. There's the unraveling the stories, right? So there's reframing stories, looking at, you know, how my experiences can help others, um, deciding what I actually want. Uh, but the deeper experience for me was one spiritual was one choosing to believe that the universe is loving, that there is a God, whatever that means to you, that I can connect with that and that it can guide me and support me and protect me. And then the other piece was the somatic work was learning how to soothe my nervous system because just because I, I forgive people and I accept them as they are and I have unconditional love for them doesn't mean I'm going to be around them, doesn't mean I'm going to associate with them or be in relationship with them, and doesn't mean I still shouldn't, you know, protect myself, right? If I'm, if I'm 
threatened, right? Like emotionally or physically, um, in a, in a situation. So I just want to make that clear, like that, but the, what the somatic is really an understanding of how energy and emotions move through your body. So how, when you experience a trigger, even if it's, it's like basically your body is like every experience that you have, like, even when you're listening to this right now, your mind is like taking it down the pathways that it's been down before and categorizing it. And if you have an emotional response to part of it, that is also a patterned response. So, and this patterned response gets stored in our bodies, whether it's, for example, fawning is one of my fawning is fawning is one of, or fighting are probably my two biggest ones. So I'll be like, oh yeah, everything's great. No big deal. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll be really sweet and nice. And, and yeah, I don't care if you push my boundaries. Oh, it's okay. Like these are past things, right. You know, or versus the, when I actually get triggered, then I get very angry and, and aggressive in order to, because that's my body's response, trying to protect myself. And a lot of people don't get that about anger and aggression, that it's really just your body being like, Hey, we need to protect ourselves from this thing, but we can redirect the energy by, by soothing ourselves first, because in a lot of cases, especially in regular dating scenarios, not like some of the ones I described, but you know, just when you're meeting a guy or a gal in a public place. And you're like, Oh, they say something that triggers you. Right. It's not like there's a tiger right there about to eat you, even though it might feel like that in your body, you know? Um, so, or, or they don't text you back and you, you feel that like overwhelming sinking feeling. Right. So it's being able to catch that sensation and bypass most of the cognitive stories that are going to come up. So, so it's about being like, okay, well, how am I actually feeling? What's my sensation based response to this? I'm not even talking about, I feel angry, but like, I feel hot. I feel like my neck's pulsing, you know, um, whatever, being able to get out of the story in your head and come down into your body. And by doing that, I've been able to allow myself to let go of the pain and the resentment and realize that it's not happening in the moment. It's related to something that happened in the past. Again, whatever the person did doesn't mean that it's right that they did that or that it wasn't hurtful, but that I don't have to continue to collect evidence that is emotionally triggering to me based on this story that I built my whole life about how men are, because it's literally just a patterned response. And when I can get past that patterned response, I can start seeing men like Shane, who are actually like decent, balanced guys that like, that want a, you know, a healthy relationship. But my initial response to Shane based on my patterning is going to look for literally everything that he does that proves that I can't trust him. Mm. And that is what men and women do all of the time. And when you hear them say, Oh, all men are like this, or all women are like this. It is because they have trained their brain and their body to have an emotional response to a pattern recognition 
which then they seek out unconsciously over and over again, literally just to protect themselves from it. Mm -hmm. So breaking free from that is becoming aware of that and then doing that emotional work. And, and, and really, like I said, at the beginning, being willing to be get rejected, being willing to have things not work out, but not having the same emotional response that puts all of men in one box and all of women in another box or you in like the unworthy box, right? Cause it's all your fault, which I know a lot of people experience that too. Yeah. So just connect the dots here for us. Cause I, I mean, I'm totally following what you're saying and, and it's powerful, but I know some people may feel like, well, why would I want to let go of that? You know, if I've been sexually assaulted or if I've had somebody steal my money or if I've been taken advantage of, or if I'm, you know, a survivor of narcissistic abuse or whatever, like, why would I want to let go of that? Why would I want to open myself up to that? So just like for you, like what has been the gift in your willingness to let go and have a new relationship with all of this? Well, first of all, I'd say it doesn't like, again, it doesn't mean that you need to talk to that person ever again. Um, uh, like think that their behavior is okay. It's literally removing them from your mind and body. (laughs) So it's like removing the power that they have over your experience in life. Because if you have this pain attached to what this person did, you were giving them power. You might think you're protecting yourself from it happening again, which your body is going to do that naturally. You're going to have a response to those people. Like you're going to be able to feel it. And this is the funny thing is that people that repeat these patterns that hold on to this stuff, a lot of times they can see in the beginning, they're like, oh yeah, that guy, he's, he's a little bit of a bad boy. I don't know if I should actually date him, but he's really attractive and he makes a lot of money and like they, they can still see it, but then they fall for it over and over again. So that's, that's the biggest kicker is that you are letting this person dictate your experience. And then you're going to keep repeating the pattern because your nervous system is trying to protect you from it. But the funny thing is with that, this part of our brain is that it's only wired to see the patterns that are based on pain. So you can't, and those patterns override any feeling of like, of, of other possibility simply to keep you safe. Okay. This is like the, 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 the um, amygdala versus the, like the prefrontal cortex. Right. So, but then our, our prefrontal cortex which is the rational part of our brain builds all these stories up about, yeah, why I shouldn't let go of that. Cause that piece of, you know, POS like deserves to rot and whatever for, you know, for the stuff that he did to me. Right. Like, and then we get addicted to those emotions. So I always say like resentment or revenge or anger is like a, you're like holding this bazooka, like you're holding a big weapon, like a giant weapon. And you're like, I'm going to protect myself from all this stuff. But the, the shell is actually pointed back at you. Mm -hmm. So, so it's like, you're trying to protect yourself, but you're holding yourself there. Oh, someone gave me a big heart. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, it's like, it's, it's, you it doesn't make rational sense. That's why I say forgiveness is a process, not an event. So like 
it's not like you can just decide to forgive someone, but if you're open and willing, what it does is it allows your nervous system to heal. It allows your nervous system to heal. It, it is almost counterintuitive, but I, I mean, I've observed what you're talking about too, right? Like the people who hold that resentment and that anger and live in fear of like, it's going to happen again. I, I need to watch over my back. Like they end up inviting more of that, right? It's like, it's like they don't move on from the experience. They don't release the experience and step into a new chapter of their life. And so they end up just kind of creating more of it, even though it's the thing that they say, I'm never going to let that happen again. I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to make that mistake again. But as long as that resentment is there, we actually do. And so it, I just want to make sure I'm hearing you correctly. Is like, you're saying like the forgiveness actually allows us to like transcend that and put it in the past. Yes. Yes. And I want you to know that you're still like, if, if that instance were to come up, again, your nervous system is going to protect you from it naturally, but you're, you're, you're removing the story and the hyper focus on it. So you can see a new possibility, right? So that you can start to pick out the qualities that you like in men or the qualities that you like in women and become uh, like, like practice in recognizing that instead of what you don't want. Yeah. So tell me a little bit now about how that's happened for you. So I know we were talking earlier about when you started coaching men, you started to realize like, oh, wow, you know, all the, all the things I've built up over my life that men are like this and men are like that. They think the same things about women. Right. So like, tell me a little bit about like the realizations you've come to around that and how all of this has shifted your relationship with men. Well, it's, it's fascinating because first of all, the, the people that I, I've still had a disparity in some cases in my own dating life because the trap, the, the experiences, right. They take a while to unravel all of this trauma. And I'm the kind of person that I like, I like things like I'm attracted to things that just because they're like, oh no, no, you shouldn't go there. Right. Like I'm, I'm intrigued by things that, that I wouldn't recommend other people to take that route. Okay. So I had this disparity around that just, just to preface this. Um, but, uh, I is all for me for learning and understanding people because I love empathy and understanding people so much. Um, so, in the men that I work with, like I found that they really want commitment. They just don't want to be boxed in. They want to take their time and making their decision. Most of them, like, even if they want to get married and have kids, they still want to enjoy the process of dating uh, and getting to know people before they make that decision, which as someone who um, is both like, like, anxious and avoidant at times myself and dating anxious and avoidant people. I think the biggest challenge comes up around that, how we manage our emotions and, and that empathy for others. Right. So like, um, the people that I have dated like recently, 
have ghosted me. I never used to get ghosted. I never, ever used to get ghosted. It's so weird, but it's because I, I always tell people if you get ghosted, it's because you're actually being your authentic self and you scared them away. <laughs> Not because there's anything wrong with you, but literally because they weren't right for you or they didn't know how to communicate on your level. Mm. Okay. So like, so, so this ghosting experience, right. And then, um, I also have explored different relationship dynamics because until like, like literally this last year, I realized that every, in every aspect of my life, in my coaching business, in my relationships, in in everything, even in, even in my spirituality, I was always trying to fit into someone else's box and not just one box. But if you, if you saw me in my life and in my situations, people never recognize me because I can fit into any box in any situation, right? I can be at the business conference wearing a suit. I can, you know, be at Burning Man wearing abs- almost nothing. <laughs> you know, I can be um, dating a guy who is super PC and very clean cut and and he doesn't like the way I dress because it makes him feel uncomfortable or dating a guy who totally pushes my boundaries and makes me feel uncomfortable. So all of these things are things that I have literally unraveled in this last year. And I'm so freaking excited you guys, because this is where true unattached, like non-attachment, like healthy non-attachment comes from is being able to, because, because all those things that I'm saying about, like all those boxes that I've tried to fit in, that's also my personality to like explore and taste different options and possibilities. And I think a lot of people are, are of a similar vein, but they're like, oh no, I, I shouldn't go do that because I need to fit in this. Like, you know, I need to be the businessman or I need to be the mom or I need to be the whatever with it, without seeing that the, they can ha- explore all of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of men who shy away from commitment is literally because they haven't allowed themselves to explore the full range of their sexuality, their experiences. Um, and it's not that they want to hurt you. They just don't know actually what they want. Um, and so I was dating those kind of men, but trying to fit into the boxes of what they wanted as a woman, because I discovered and was this masculine feminine polarity. So I was like, Oh, I, I ever bring this in not to, not to downgrade it because there is a ton of validity in masculine feminine polarity, but I believe the way that it is taught in a lot of circles causes people to try to be inauthentic in order to get love. So and, and this is what I learned in my business and why I totally rebranded myself is that there are so many men who have such high feminine, what you would call feminine traits, but they're, they're actually just traits that we want in a natural human being, like kind, loving, understanding, empathetic, compassionate, like who doesn't want that in a partner, whether they're a man or a woman. Right. But so these relationships that I got myself into were because I was trying to be feminine 
and and like and they were big strong men and 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 again they're still my friends and i have love and compassion and understanding for how i created this relationship dynamic and i don't blame my feminine energy coach either cuz i had to go down this road but this pitting the sexes against each other and basically just because of our generational trauma right we have the 50s women not being able to work the 70s women like putting men in a box and like making them small emasculating them and now where we're at today right with gender identity and non-binary is like this this whole experience of being like oh well i'm not right because i'm quote unquote a masculine woman so i need to be feminine in order to get these masculine men to like me. And I'm using quotes, which you can't hear on the audio, but I'm using lots of quotes around all of these things simply because the terminology is too generalized. It's like saying, it's like saying like, it's like making racial generalizations is what I've come to discover. So because of that, I ended up in relationships that weren't right for me because I wasn't owning the fullness of who I was. And so that's why I've gone on this journey to rebrand myself and I am dating now, but I'm not like rushing anything. And this is where the non-attachment, like if you think you need another human being or you're too old, or like it's getting to be a certain time. And like, as you as a woman or you as a man, like need men or women to be a certain way, to fit into some idealized version of how you think your life should be. Well, that's just a recipe for struggle. Like, I don't care what you believe in, right? Like, like, so, so this uh, learning non-attachment and teaching non-attachment to my clients is we have big goals. We know what we want and we're not going to beat ourselves up along the way. And we're not going to blame other people anymore because that's where all of our power lies. I love that. I love that. Now you said, so many things that were awesome. I like, I want to dive into all of them, but I'm trying to, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. No, I mean, it, it's all really, really good stuff. Um, but so maybe we could just take it one at a time. The, the first thing that really stood out to me that I want to dive into a little bit is that you said the men that avoid commitment or, you know, are, are not ready for it. You know, they're, they're not trying to hurt you but these are men who have not explored the full range of their emotions, their sexuality, their, you know, I mean, their being right there. And, and what I got from that and correct me if I'm, if I'm mishearing this, but what I got from that is that like, they haven't really clarified what they want yet because they haven't done enough exploring to know, right? Like they haven't fooled around enough to know that they want a committed relationship or that, like they haven't, they haven't explored themselves and their emotions and their desires and their dreams enough to really say like, this is what I want and be clear about it. Right. And so these men that are out there and from a lot of women's perspective, maybe, you know, hurting them or, or disregarding them or, you know, whatever version of that, it, it's really coming from a confusion. So what, I guess if you could shed some light on that for us is like, like, yes, they're confused, but what, what would a woman do with that? Right? Like what, I guess one, if she's attracting men who are confused and not ready, what would be going on for her that would invite that in? 
And two, like what, what would need to shift in order for her to, you know, maybe meet someone who is ready and has explored and, and does know what he wants? Yes. Great questions. Okay. So what's going on? I mean, there's so many theories on this, right? Like, oh, you attract non-committal men because you're not committed to yourself or they're not emotionally available because you're not emotionally available to yourself. And I would say that is just the surface and not necessarily actually the truth, yeah. especially if you've done a lot of work on yourself. So more so it's like if you're in sales or marketing, <laughs> dating, we need to start viewing dating more. I mean, not like the products that we sell, but that meeting people is just, you're just meeting another human being. So there's infinite possibilities in the 7 billion people on the planet so you're going to come into contact with ones that haven't fully explored themselves yet. Now, men don't know how to talk about this because they think that, oh, well, if I say something about it, they're going to run away right away. And I'm not going to get to have a fun experience or even get to know if this person is the woman of my dreams because they want they want to find that like almost all of them ultimately want some like long-term commitment. Um, so it's very confusing for them. So I teach them how to talk about this. And several of my clients who are, I have three clients getting married this year and, um, several guys that are dating multiple women consciously and honestly, and it can be a very unnerving conversation and hard for them at first. But what I have them say is, Hey, look, I'm dating multiple people right now because I'm still exploring who I am and I do want commitment eventually, but I'm really taking my time and I just want to date you and get to know you so that I can make the best decision and you can make the best decision. Mm -hmm. Sounds really simple, but super scary conversation to have, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, when you can soothe your nervous system and have this conversation, it comes off a lot better, right? Because if you're worried, oh, she's going to think I'm sleeping around. And I do coach them on also how to talk about if they're having multiple sexual experiences or not. And also just to be like, the reason why a lot of guys don't have this conversation, including some of my guy friends who I do get a little pissed off at <laughs> because they date a lot of women is because they want, they do like you. So they like you and they don't want you to run away. So they withhold this information because they do want to get to know you. Now, if you're with a guy, if you're dating a guy who is honest about this, I would say if they're saying, if they're saying things like, well, I'm dating for the purpose of finding my long-term partner, but I'm taking my time, you know, they have an end game in mind. If they just say, oh, I don't really know what I want. I'm a little scared of commitment. I would walk away. Hmm. Okay. Because really otherwise you're going to be the experiment. You're the, you're the experiment. Right. You can also clarify. You can say, oh, I totally get that. I, I believe that healthy dating is about getting to know people too. Do you see long-term commitment as part of your future? Right. The issue is, is that I found that men and women think differently about commitment. Men tend to want to be really clear before they make a commitment, especially if they're an honest guy. 
-hmm. So they really want to be clear. And that's why they don't talk about how they might want a committed relationship up front because they don't want to box themselves into that. But if you could have an honest conversation, that's like, Hey, look, I get that you're not really into commitment right now. Um, but is this something that you see long-term with the right person? And they say, yes, then I would be open to it. Now there are other guys who will literally just say whatever you want. And I've dated those guys too. So, (laughs) so it's, it's more so in any situation, whatever you choose, if you really like the guy and he even says, well, I'm sort of scared of commitment. You don't want to commit to him. You want to date other guys. If you really like him, you can keep hanging out with him. You can go on a date with him. You can have fun, but you got to learn this process of not attaching to that one guy and trying to be the one that he commits to. Cause that is one of the biggest issues for women as well. He does not, he doesn't want to be commit committed, but I can be the one, you know, the one that (laughs) special one that he's going to change his whole life for. And I mean, I I think that idea is so seductive, right? Like I could be the one he could pick me. I could be the one that makes him be different. And I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I have never found that works well for anyone. It's, it's always just a dumpster fire when you, when you take that approach. So, but I want to ask you, because you mentioned like this, uh, this way of non-attachment, right? And I think it's, it's so true. Like, yeah, you can, you can date lots of different people. You can be open to lots of different experiences. You can, you know, see what happens with this one and see what happens with this one and be patient and let it unfold and kind of, you know, check in with yourself and your intuition along the way, you know, but like, theoretically, that's a great idea. And I know in in terms of practicality, what happens for people when they're trying to do that is inevitably one of these people takes over their whole mind and their heart. Everyone else just becomes gray and boring in comparison. And so like, what, what would somebody do when they're trying to be open and trying to give people space and yet no matter how hard they try to date different people and be open to different experiences this one person just has their attention and they can't seem to shake it like what does somebody do with that well a couple things first of all once you've gone through enough pain around that you'll stop doing it in my opinion so once you've had that happen over and over and over again, which was, that was how I got there (laughs) (laughs) over and over and over again. Um, I mean, I learned a lot of techniques also too, but for one of my clients, I'll share about him, Dov. So he, when he was dating, he was always like, no, I can't date more than one woman at once. That's not like healthy. Like he was very like traditional. Um, He didn't want to, rush into anything, but, um, he started dating three people and I coached him in the same way that I just told you. And it was very uncomfortable for him, but he did it. And they were all decent women. They were, he was like, wow, I'm for once dating three women who are all pretty great. And then one of them, he was like, but I think she's the one. And he had literally been dating her for a week. So if you're more of an anxious dater or the type of person that falls in love quickly, then you know what this is like, right? What, what 
Shane just explained, right? That all the other ones are like, blah. And you're like this one, but the one, but her, it's her or it's him. I know, I know. I, right. And, and what we do is we tend to perseverate, right. In our mind and uh, body, our nervous system. And this is where the anxiety comes up. This is where like you, you know, you're going to want to like reach out to the person maybe more than is, you know, is healthy, but you're like, but I really want to share this with them. Or I want to make sure that they like me, or I don't want to waste my time. Right. Like all of those, uh, things that go on in your head, um, including all of the fantasies, right? Like the fantasies of marriage upon like maybe only knowing a person for three weeks, uh, been there, been through all of that stuff. Okay. So what happens is our bodies produce chemicals, produce hormones that cause us to want to mate with someone. So you got to know that this is a biological process. This obsession attachment that you have towards one person is literally just to perpetuate our species to mate. Okay. (laughs) So, and, and as women, we are meant biologically to find a man and keep him because back in caveman days, if we didn't have a man, we didn't keep him right away. We didn't know he was going to feed us, take care of our family. We weren't going to be safe. So there's all of these unconscious hormonal biological things going on, but they happen for men too. That, that was the interesting thing that I found in working with men is that it happens for men too. They attach to someone and they like want to make it work. What? And so did you have something you want to ask me? No, no, no. Okay. So, so when, um, this happens, you got to realize you're not crazy. This also, this person's not necessarily the one they could be the one it's great. It's great that you have this connection, right. But also to deescalate the emotional states by understanding it's biological and two by rewiring your thinking. So, and, and your, and how you feel, right. So if you can't get this person out of your head, I guarantee you, you can get them out of your head. It's just going to take meditation. It's going to take exercising. It's going to take, oh, every time I've had people that are so anxious that they can't stop. They literally, every time they talk to me on a call, they are obsessively thinking about this person. And I got to literally like be like, no, <laughs> I got to like snap them out of it, you know? Um, and these are men. Okay. Men have this experience too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you got to be able to catch it, realize that it's not what you think it is. It's literally your hormones. And then you got to change your thoughts. So, uh, it's, it's taking the, the thoughts that go into the story of like, oh my God, this is my person. Do they like me? I'm not sure. Do they like blah, 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 blah. blah. And be like, it's okay. It's okay. We can, we can still get to know this person. And you know what? I'm going to go take care of myself now, or I'm going to go do something nice for myself. I'm going to maybe send a message to Shane that I'm spitting out on this. Right. Or, or, or Lindsay Marie, like I'm going to, or talk to someone, I'm going to tell some, tell on myself, right. That I'm spinning out about this person. And the more that you rewire your thinking and like catch it and be like, okay, well, this is one possibility. It's just like people go to worst case scenario. Like she's going to reject me. She hates me or he hates me. It's the opposite side of that spectrum. So you're going to be like, 
this is just one possibility. Yes, we can have our dream scenario. Like sometimes I even tell people, Hey, I'm going to have you set a timer for 10 minutes and you can obsessively think about this person and plan your whole wedding and everything that you want, but only for 10 minutes a day. And then the rest of the time you are catching those thoughts and be like, Bloop. no, we're going to let them go. Just gonna let it go. Love we're going to come back to reality. Right. And invest in ourselves. And I'll tell you, I had one client. I was so worried about him because he had been friend zoned by this woman for two years before he had started working with me. Okay. So this is where, this is, this is the silver lining in this story. Okay. Cause you can think that someone is your soulmate and know that they're so they're your soulmate and still not push them away. Okay. But you got to soothe this thinking and, and he was like, no, she's the one I swear to God, she's the one. And I was like, Aaron, she's friend zoned you for two years. And we've been working together for four months. And like, we extended the working together and he's still like, not really showing up. Right. Like she's still not like investing in the relationship that much, like a little bit more. Um, but he was like, no, she's the one, she's the one. And like, but I helped him rewire his thinking. So he would go out dancing with other women. He would have fun. He let her do her own thing. That's the other thing. If you're an anxious person, you have to let the person come to you. You send one message inviting them. That's it. Not another one and another one and another one. And you got to take your thinking off of them off the table because we're energetic beings. We can actually feel someone else obsessing about us like unconsciously. So you got to redirect it. And you know what? Now today they they live in Paris. They're two teachers. They're, they're in this amazing loving relationship. They're taking their time. And I, so I'm saying like, if you're the type of person that's like, no, this is my man, or this is my woman, you can have it that way, but you can't force it. You got to be really patient. And you know what? She had a lot of trauma that because he was patient with her, they ended up releasing and processing together and they have this beautiful relationship. So, and this understanding. So, yeah. I'll just share quickly. And for those who listen to the podcast, um, you've probably heard me share about this before, but what you're, what you're sharing is incredibly similar to like my story with my wife, because I met her and got to know her a little bit. And it was pretty early on that I'm like, I think she's the one, you know, and and I think I was one of those people that had explored myself pretty thoroughly. Right. So I was, I was kind of in that place where I knew what I wanted and all of that, but I was pretty clear, like she was the one. And even though I was clear about that, there was like this other part of me that was like, and if it doesn't work out totally cool. Like, you know, if she doesn't turn out to be the one, that's totally cool. And at the time, that was very new for me because I had never accessed that before, right? And I mean, if if my wife, um, like she had a lot of stuff to work through. I, I often share, like she tried to break up with me 20 times in our first year. And like, she had a lot of stuff to work through. And anytime she tried to break up, I'd be like, okay, you know, if like, I wouldn't be totally cool about it, but I'd be like, if that's what you want, it's okay. Like, you know, you don't have to be here. And I I think what you're saying is so true. And it's so powerful for people to realize that they have another option, right? As you were saying earlier, like this, this thinking and this, you know, the, the emotional patterns and the thought patterns get kind of hardwired into us. 
And it's like it, when when an experience triggers it, we just take that road every time, no matter what. And just the the recognition that like I don't actually have to take that road. I can see myself going down that road and I can say, whoa, whoa, whoa hold on. Let me take a deep breath. Let me relax. Let me remember that, that if this person walks away and I never see them again, I won't die. And like, it'll be okay. And, you know, let me go out with someone else tonight and let me just have a good time and let that person do their thing and see when and if they come back. And if they don't like, okay, I can, I'll feel that and move on from it. Like just, it's, it's so empowering to recognize that we actually can do these things when we've spent so much of our life feeling like stuck and trapped in these patterns. And I think something you said that really stood out to me is that when you've hurt yourself with this enough times, you'll start doing it differently. And, and I think it's so true. Like you can do it differently. You just need enough of a motivation to actually try rather than just whoop, going for it again, you know, and landing flat on your face. And then like, you know, like again, after you've landed a flat on your face that many times, like maybe you'll say, okay, what do I want to do differently this time? <laughs> right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's that's amazing. It's it's really beautiful um, what you're sharing. And and I want to dive into something else you said that you, you talked about, um, as you said it earlier, like pretzeling yourself. And right, you know, I was trying to be this uber, uber feminine woman. And in being that way, I attracted these uber masculine men just to find out I wouldn't be happy with that. Right. So, so tell us a little bit about this. Like, you know, it, it's not about being any certain kind of way to attract anybody, but what is it really about? Well, I think it's taking all of the boxes that we have put ourselves in, not only just in understanding in masculine feminine terms, but like I'm a lawyer or I'm a dad or I'm a, I'm Christian or I'm only believe in science or like that there is only one way that I see myself and that, that my identity is fixed basically. Right. And, or, or if, or if you're into pretzeling, obviously you believe it's not fixed. So, so that, which is, which is interesting with personal development is because I think a lot of us who've done a lot of self-help, we can see how we can transform ourselves into anything. Right. And then at the end of the day, it's like, well, who am I? What am I actually like, like there's like, it's this whole notion of fixing yourself. Right. Or, or even using the word healing, which I try not to use, even though I love that word, but it implies that there's something broken, that there's something wrong with you. Right. So it's more like removing the layers of the onion or the boxes that based on our experiences, the feedback people gave us, even the most loving feedback can put you in a box. So like, it, it's not about being angry or blaming other people. It's literally about realizing what you did and what you still do, whether it's people pleasing or, um, you know, whatever you do to get what you want. And do you want to keep it? does it work for you or do you want to let it go? So for me as a, as a, a self-help like junkie, I learned how to become whatever 
I needed to be, whatever I thought, excuse me, whatever I thought I needed to be to get what I wanted. And I always thought that there was something, uh, it was even if it, I thought it might be the guy's fault, there was something about me that was not right. Like there was something about me that I needed to fix. And so when I started coaching um, and my business like became like blew up in COVID, it was when masculine feminine polarity became super popularized, right? And I believe that we all have masculine and feminine in us. I just don't like using those words as much anymore because they, they emasculate men for not being masculine enough, right? There's this whole emasculation of men is like, well, you're not masculine enough because you don't fit into this box, right? Um, and you need to be more this way in order to get the woman that you want. And, and then the same thing I found with working with men is that a lot of them were like, well, I want a feminine woman. And I'm like, well, what does that mean to you? They didn't know. Or they, they would say simple things like kind and makes me feel good, right? Like there's this lack of detail that comes when we put ourselves into a category or a box, right? So, so for me, I always, I mean, growing up, like I told you, I was a tomboy and I always identified more with the boys. Like I always want to be stronger than the boys. I want to be like a boy, um, but I also wanted to dress like a princess and like pink was my favorite color. So I had this very like, like I had both. I was like, I'm both right. I, 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 I was always both, uh, growing up. Um, but I was often criticized for being boyish by my friends, by my ballet teacher. Um, and then in adulthood, I was like, oh, the reason why I don't have the kind of relationships I want is because I'm not feminine enough. Um, and this is when I was at the peak of coaching, like 15 to 20 men, like I do all one-on-one -on -one coaching. So like the peak of my business, like height of sales, like coaching men and their masculinity, but behind closed doors, teaching them how to use their feminine gifts, how to balance everything out, but not doing it for myself, making myself wrong. Uh, so I ended up dating men, bless their hearts, who loved my soft, sensual, artistic, creative side, but couldn't handle the way that I'm talking to you right now. Like they would literally tell me, can you stop talking? Can you be quiet? Can you calm down a little bit? Like, this is way too much for me. Mm. So, so that was the first, and, and I was like, oh yeah, I'm not being feminine enough. <laughs> oh, let me just shut up and be feminine. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, um, yeah, it was, it, it was really interesting. It was, it was really mind, mind messing. Um, and so, but there's so many things that I love about those men that I dated too, who are very dominant and, and like, and owning what they want. And, um, but again, because they presented certain things that I thought were masculine, I overrided all the other red flags, <laughs> mm. <laughs> which is what I think a lot of people do. A lot of the guys that I talk to, they're like, well, she was so nice. She was gorgeous. And then like three months later, she's super controlling and a totally different person. 
Well, I mean, I think that's what so many people do. And I mean, all of us probably to a degree is we, we get an idea of what we want, right? And then we find someone who matches that idea and we get so attached to, well, they're the person I want that anything that doesn't fit, we filter it out. And, you know, we don't, we don't realize it until it comes and bites us in the ass down the road, right? And so, I mean, it sounds like you were learning that firsthand. And, you know, you brought up an interesting idea that, you know, there's, there's kind of this spectrum of people who were raised a certain way and taught that they were a certain way and expected to be a certain way. And they live their whole life thinking that's who I am. And then there are other people who recognize I could be anything. And so, you know, I become this, I become that. And, you know, I think probably either, either extreme is not super healthy. Right. So there's, there's gotta be this place where you land in the middle, where there's like, you know, a sense of who I am, a sense of what my values are, a sense of what's important to me, a sense of what I love and what I enjoy and, you know, like that kind of thing, but it's not so rigid that like, there's still some flexibility with it. There's still some room to play and explore and learn new things about myself and become someone different today than I was yesterday. So I guess, and you, you asked the question, which I, I think is probably the greatest spiritual question of all time is who am I? <laughs> right. And it's like, well, if I, if I can move from being one fixed thing to being literally anything, then who am I really? And I guess what I want to ask you is in terms of authenticity and especially in the domain of like presenting yourself in the dating world, right? Like when I go out on a date with someone or, or when I'm getting involved with someone, like, what does it mean to be authentic in that domain? Does that, does that question make sense? Yes. Well, I think it comes back to what I tell men to say when they're, they're dating for commitment, but they don't want to box themselves in is explaining their, the journey that they're on. So like, I definitely want commitment long-term, but right now I'm taking my time and dating and getting to know people. Does that work for you? Or, um, being authentic. I think not, not letting, you don't always have to like say or state your boundaries, right? Like you could leave, like some people prefer a more who may, maybe aren't as vocal might not be like, Hey, don't do that. That makes me feel uncomfortable. Right. But I, I do think there is what a lot of what is missed is people not being willing to be direct because they think that if they're direct, they're going to push people away. And not just with the commitment thing, but with things around, like, like I tell people to say now, so this is why I say, if someone's like pushing my sexual boundaries, I'd be like, oh, I love that you're so interested in me and that you're so attracted to me, but I want to take my time in getting to know you emotionally before we connect physically. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, it's starting to, it, it, there's this compassion piece, right? Cause sometimes authenticity we think of is really raw, right? Like I'm not going to censor anything, right? Like I'm just going to like, here's all my trauma. Here's everything that happened, you know, but that's too much for another person to digest. And they might not focus on the parts that you want them to focus on. So you always want to come from this place of, of compassion and, and acknowledging if you want a loving relationship, whether you choose to continue to date the person or not, you want to practice acknowledging their positive intent. 
-hmm. even if, even if like, even if they're like trying to kiss you and you're like, dude, you didn't ask to kiss me, you know, like that's going to get a different response than, oh, hey, I get that you want to kiss me right now, but I want to take my time. Right. Yeah. So um, it's authenticity, not only in yourself, but also in this notion that your message, like how you communicate uh, the, the, the meaning when you're trying to build a relationship lies in how the listener receives it. And this can be really, really hard to understand because uh, it's like, well, well, that guy, like, maybe I say that to one guy and he walks away, right? Because he wants to have a sexual experience with me right away. Now I could make that be that like, oh, that's how all men are. Or I could just pat myself on back on my back for doing a good job and stating my boundary and move on to the next person. Right. So it's same thing goes with communication. Some people like to text and talk to each other every day. Other people that would drive them literally bananas, right. To have their person, even that they've been dating for years, text them every day. So having these opening these conversations up at the beginning of the dating process, I think is what is key. And using it from this place of like, Hey, I really want to make sure that you feel comfortable that, that you're supported or like, I don't want to text you too much. Like, is it okay if I text you every day or would you prefer that I only text you when we're about to go on dates or how do you get when you get upset? Like, I want to know, even though it's our second date, like I want to know just in case I upset you. So I know how to support you. Mm -hmm. You know, what I'm hearing in that too, is there's like this, I mean, one, like somebody would really need to know themselves in order to be able to communicate like this, right? Like they, they would really have need to have like done some reflection and say like, this is what's important to me. These are my boundaries. This is what I want. This is what I don't want. And then there's this willingness. And I, I think it's so true, like what you said about like the, the compassionate piece of it, not jumping to the extreme of like, oh, he only wants to use me for sex, right? It, it's like, well, maybe, maybe not you don't really know all you know is that he wants to have sex with you right like the whatever additional meaning you add to that i had a client one time i'll just share it quickly she she would be so triggered anytime a man would show a sexual interest in her and and i said to her i said so when you get into like your long-term relationship with your partner do you want him to not be interested in having sex with you and she was like well no of course not when i'm in a relationship I was like, okay, well then when you meet a man who wants to have sex with you, that's actually a green flag. Like that's actually one of the things on your list being checked off right now. You just need to communicate clearly and see if the other things are going to be checked off, right? Like if that's the only thing that it's not going to work. Right. So there is like this openness instead of responding by being triggered or angry, but like this openness to let me try to understand where the person is coming from, you know, before I jump to a conclusion about what it means. And let me, let me really be with myself and find out what my truth is in this situation and communicate that in, you know, yes, the most compassionate and agreeable way possible, because you're not trying to start a fight here. You're just trying to be honest. Right. And I mean, that is, I, I, I guess what I'm coming up with with is like that's just that does require like a lot of self-work to be able to 
know yourself on that level and then avoid the the tendency to get triggered or be reactive and really be understanding and open and receptive and honest and truthful and maintaining your boundaries at the same time so I, I guess the only question I would have around that is like what what has what has helped you in being able to do all of that first thing is allow it to be messy Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so allow yourself to totally fail at doing everything that I just said <laughs> because uh, you got to do it right? yeah because yeah, you actually got to take the leap and do it first before you're going to learn how to consistently do it in a way that um creates peace right and understanding even if you go your separate ways right so like and we're all human so we're all going to get triggered at some points no matter how much work you do on yourself it's your reaction your emotional response is going to come up somewhere so that's why i think it's really important early on in dating to be like hey this is how i tend to react when i get triggered so i need to do this like for me if i get really triggered I need to go be by myself so I don't get angry on you because mm. I'm going to get angry on you, you know? So I know that. So I need to go be by myself, figure out what I actually want to say and then come back. So I have a safe word. My safe word is I need to go recharge. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong. It doesn't mean I hate you. It doesn't mean anything other than I'm tired. I'm angry. I'm hungry. I'm spent. I don't have any emotional capacity to continue to hold space for you or be in this situation anymore without, you know, something, some trigger happening. Right. So, um, and when you train, I said like training your partner. So when you train your partner in this, it's going to take a little while. Cause at first they're going to feel your trigger, especially if they're empathetic and they're going to think something's wrong. Even if you say, Oh, I need to go recharge. So you got to be able to be like, Hey, no, look, really, this is, this is all it is, but you have to, I think for a lot of people, they try to stay and work things out. And there's varying degrees. Some people disagree on this. Some people say, well, if you need to go take space, then that's going to be your whole relationship. Like I've heard some coaches say like that, that that's like the worst thing to, if you're dating someone like that, like, Oh, you don't want to date them, but everybody processes information differently. And that ability to soothe your emotions is much easier done in my experience in solitude mm -hmm. or with a professional, like a coach or a therapist. So, so a lot of people just ignore it. Other people try to, you know, go after it, like debate, argue. Um, some people will fawn, right? So being able to have your own plan of action, not only your own plan of action for yourself, but how you're going to communicate it to your partner. Like even something as simple as when I'm working, I really don't like to be interrupted. And I might be really short with you if you interrupt me when I'm working, just because I'm so hyper-focused on what I'm doing that I'm not really aware of you. Like these are things that, um, that there, there's so many different angles and yeah, you might not know this about yourself yet, but I guarantee you, if you look over your past experiences, you will know what you do when you get triggered. And if you don't know what to do about it, then that's when you work with a coach or a therapist or someone who has experience in that. So, um, 
I feel like there's part of your question I'm missing on answering, but I'll stop there for now. Well, I, I think you, I think you covered the most of or the majority of it. And it, it really is about, you know, knowing yourself. And I, I love what you said about like, let it be messy because like it, it, it doesn't come out perfect. It, it just doesn't. And even when you're practiced at it, it still doesn't come out perfect. And it's like, I think that's part of authenticity, right? Authenticity is the willingness to be myself, even when it's not pretty. And we don't need to take that to the extreme of lashing out and being nasty or, or, you know, aggressive, but, you know, just like if it's going to come out messy or confusing, or I don't really know what to say or how to say it, and I'm just doing my best here. And like, and maybe we need to come back and revisit the conversation tomorrow. and, And maybe I'll have a little more clarity then. Like, whatever it takes, but that willingness to let it be messy and trust that like, look, if, if this is meant to work, it getting a little messy, isn't going to break it. And if, if all it takes is like getting a little bit messy and it breaks it, then this didn't have what it really takes to last. Right. So that goes back to that kind of non-attachment and a, a big part of what I coach is like, listen, you're, your fundamental commitment in every situation needs to be to like honor yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, and then if, if you start with that, if you start with like honoring yourself in every situation, then ultimately the relationships that cannot honor you are going to fall out of your life. And the ones that last will be the ones that honor you, but that's only because you've been honoring yourself the whole time, no matter what the external results are. If, if the person stays, if the person leaves. Yeah. Right. Or if you hurt them or get upset. Yeah. It's it, boundaries are so challenging. I think the other thing that I wanted to say is that, yeah, don't be afraid of the results or being messy. I love what you said about really honoring yourself. And then I think the piece about authenticity and partnership, that's really important is that you want to focus on what you actually want rather than what the problem is. Mm. So, so like, because authenticity has so many different facets and angles, right? So there's so many things going on at once. So if I come to Shane, like, like, and we're in a relationship and I say, Shane, I hate the way that you never do the dishes. Like you never do the dishes. You're so lazy. That could be me being authentic, right? Um, even just a more milder version of Shane, you never do the dishes. Um, maybe a more neutral response, right? But the authenticity and partnership is, well, how do I, what do I want Shane to do? I don't want him to never do the dishes. I want him to do the dishes, right? So like, this is very simple, but you could extrapolate this across everything in your life, even at work, even with your boss, (laughs) this works, uh, even with your children. (laughs) Um, uh, so you don't tell children don't run down the street because they're going to run down the street. But if you say, Hey, could you walk? Hey, Shane, I'd really love it. If you did the dishes tonight, you know, maybe, maybe you're just, maybe we could set up a schedule even, and I do the dishes this time. Like what would support you like in this, or maybe there's, maybe you're feeling overwhelmed at work. I don't know what's going on with you, but I thought you said you were going to do the dishes and I'm just wondering, you know, how we can share the chores around the house, right? Like there's both, all of those statements are authentic, right? But 
but when your authenticity is directed towards what you want, you frame things, you start to learn how to frame things differently. So it's like, if I want authentic love and partnership, I'm not going to push Shane away or make him wrong for not doing the dishes because that's not going to get us very far. (laughs) That is such a huge, huge point. And you know, it's, we could say the same thing for like, if you're talking about commitment in a relationship, right. And it's like, you could be like, I really want you to commit to me. And like, you know, that would be authentic. Or you could say, hey, you know, I'd, I'd like us to have a conversation about what we see for the future and, you know, see if we're on the same page about some things, right? Both are authentic, but it's it's also the question about what's what's effective, what's going to be the most connecting way, way to it. And I think, yeah, it, it's so true. Like, authenticity can be taken to that extreme of like, well, I was being authentic. I was just telling the truth. But it's like, yeah, but were you doing it in a way that you invited the person to connect with you versus gave them some kind of ultimatum where they felt like they just needed to, you know, or, or you never do the dishes. You're right. I never do the dishes. Never will. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> so. yeah. Or what do you authentically want out of that? That's what I always ask my clients. Like, what do you authentically want out of this conversation? Like, what's your goal or same thing with our emotions right? Our emotions, anger, sadness, happiness, joy, they all have information underneath them. So like, what is the authentic need, need that you want to be fulfilled that this emotion is like telling you, right? Like if I'm angry, maybe my boundaries got pushed. So I need to stand up for myself or it could be all different number of things, right? But learning to get the authentic message that is again, what you want versus what the problem is or what you did wrong or what they did wrong. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, this conversation has been just amazing. You've, you've shed so much light on so many things and shared so much from your journey. And I just really appreciate your, your authenticity and your vulnerability and sharing, you know, your story with us and, and, you know, how, how you've learned and how you've grown on your own journey. Um, is there anything maybe we haven't touched on that you'd just like to add in before we close it out today? Just that you're worthy. You're worthy of love just as you are. You don't need to fix anything. All you need to do is really discover your worth in who you are and how you want to express that for the listener. Like all of this work, is really about freedom and love for yourself. And that when you have that, you can create that dynamic with other humans and it's always going to be messy. You're always forgiven. (laughs) And the point is, is just to see relationships really as a, for me, I see them as pathways to enlightenment pathways to growth pathways to understanding myself. So even if it doesn't work out, there can always be a silver lining, no matter how far down you feel like you've fallen, how much depression or anxiety you've been stuck in. There's always a way to create what you want. And that's what I would say is, is that keep 
investing in yourself and following and listening to people who share more of the solution than just talk about the problems. <laughs> that's a, that's a big one. Well, I mean, thank you so much. What a beautiful conversation and, um, yeah, just so many, so many beautiful things we've touched on today. So thank you for being here and for your time. Um, if people want to connect with you or participate in a program you have or, or anything like that, just share with us, um, what you have and how they could do that. Yes. So I am just launching my ebook right now, and it's basically an overview and process of a lot of what we talked about today, removing the layers of programming and really understanding yourself and the true ideal partner and relationship that you want to create. And it's called authentic unboxed love. And so if you want to sign up to get this free ebook, you can click the link in my bio on my Instagram at Lindsay Marie coaching and it's Lindsay with an E and uh, my website's also Lindsay Marie coaching dot com. Um, so you can find me in either of those places. You can always set up a free 30 minute call with me where we can talk about what's going on with you and what you want in your relationship, in your life, uh, or if you're unsure about where to go next. And, uh, that's how I began this process because I believe in working with people who are highly committed and want to see great change, not only in themselves, but in the world and their families. Um, so the program that I do beyond that is an individualized 90 day one-on-one -on -one program with lots of multimedia resources. I'm building out a new app, so it's still in process, uh, but basically involves 90 day one-on-one -on -one weekly mentorship with lifetime support after that, meaning that just like Shane, I believe in long-term growth and I'm heavily invested in my client's success. So they all know that they can reach out to me with questions at any point along their journey. And as long as I'm breathing, <laughs> I'll get back to them. And uh, so, so excited uh, to hear from any of you that want to reach out to me. And thank you, Shane, so much for having me on your podcast. Yeah. Yeah. It's been wonderful. Again, beautiful conversation. I really appreciate you being here and, and sharing your light and love and wisdom and everything with us. So thank you so much. It's been amazing. Um, I know the audience is going to love it and yeah, just really appreciate you. So thank you. And just for, for the listeners, I'm going to make sure that Lindsay's links uh, to Instagram and uh, website and all of that are available in the podcast description. So if anyone wants an easy way to connect with her, all you got to do is look right there. Thanks again for checking out the show. Please subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on the most. And I would love it so much if you leave a review and tell people what you think of us. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at The Living Relationship to connect more closely. And I'm grateful to be supporting you on your journey to love.